And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. This is the Essential Bible Studies podcast. My name is Tim Young. And I'm back here again with Stan Isbell telling his testimony, his story of his life. And we've had to make this a two-parter because there's just so much and it's so interesting to look back. I hope if you haven't listened to the first part, you got to go back and listen to that because Stan really started at the beginning of his life, his upbringing in Texas, how he slowly got sucked into this drug culture of the time. This is back in the late 60s and the early 70s just getting worse and worse, getting arrested over it, being a drug dealer, going on hallucinogenic drugs, and just coming to this point in his life where he couldn't really even come back to reality. Even after 50 years, it's very emotional for Stan. And we were just talking about this, right, Stan? Because when you rehearse this, the thing that hurts you the most is how you hurt others when they were just trying to help you and you, you couldn't see that. So Wendy, who is your wife, you're still your faithful wife after all these years, right. you related this confrontation with her where you had to get her to cry. You had to draw out this emotion. And this is the, sounds like it's the lowest point in your life. You're just in the bottom of the cavern in darkness. And oh, it was, too. You know, you're crying out to God. Let's turn this to the positive because even out of the darkest pit, God is still there, able to listen to prayer and to draw us out of it. Yeah, Yeah, he's trying to draw us out of it. You know, it was like being lost in, like you say, in a pit, a last tether, my last rope. I'm hanging by a rope. And when I went up to get Wendy to cry at her job and she's trying to make a living because I can't hold a job because of my insanity. Yeah, that tether broke and I was free falling and I called upon God with the only thing I had left. And that was sincerity. And he was waiting for that point. I know he was. I know he was. I know him well enough to know he was waiting. Looking back, I did the time I didn't know, but he was waiting for me to reach that point of rock bottom. You can't right. get any lower. So what happened after that? Well, <laughs> after that pleading, I went back home and I was sort of numb and starting to figure out a way to end my life. And I get a call from a lady across the pool who used to get high with us and she had moved, but she said, I got a lady here at work that her husband's quit driving semi trucks to paint houses and he wants to stay in town. So he needs somebody to help him prepare the houses. Would you be interested in the job? So uh, I said, sure. Yeah, I, I need something to keep my mind busy. And so it was like I was on automatic pilot, Tim. I, yeah. I just put it on auto and, and said, well, I don't care about life. I'm not going to put Wendy through this anymore. Something better get better or I'm done. Life is just not worth it. If I don't have any kind of purpose, life has to have some kind of purpose. Everybody's yeah. looking for purpose. And I was looking for purpose. But anyway. I got the job. The guy hired me. He was a redneck cowboy wearing a straw cowboy hat. And yet, nice and you're, enough, you're still a hippie, right? You got oh, the long hair. Yeah. yeah, I got <laughs> hair down the back of my back and beard and all and Levi's. And, and yet I had five years of cowboy country when I was 
in the uh, junior high year. So I could relate to a lot of people. (laughs) So he hired me and he put me to work scraping screens. So he's up on this ladder against the house and he says to me, well, Stan, have you ever heard of the return of Christ? And I said, oh, yeah, I've heard about it. And he said, you know what's going to happen? I said, well, not exactly. I don't have enough details, but I've heard about it all my life. I was raised a Baptist and a very active Baptist in my family. He said, well, you know, from what I've been studying with a friend of mine, when he returns, from what I know, I will disappear off of this ladder just like that, and you won't have a clue where I went. <laughs> so I, I kind of chuckled and rolled my eyes, raised my eyebrows, and thought to myself, you know, Tom, if you'll break out your stash, you, you and I will get along real good. thought he was high, too. <laughs> and so I started asking questions. You know, it's sort of like Daniel said, from the moment you set your heart to understand and to chasten yourself, mm. I am sent for your words. So that angel, I think, that has been watching over my foolish self, yeah, that God had assigned me and probably had to roll his eyes many, many times throughout <laughs> my life and uh, shake his head. That angel, I think, was really excited at my questions, because I started asking Tom questions he couldn't answer. And finally he said, look, I got a friend I I could bring over your house. And I said, fine, bring him over tonight or tomorrow. So they came over and this man was a Christadelphian and first one I'd ever met. And I don't think we even talked about that. Uh, Matter of fact, I know we didn't. The name wasn't even brought up. It was just a conversation. So they came in and I had a, a lid, which is a sandwich baggie full of marijuana. That's what we call it, about an ounce or a lid of pot on the coffee table. And they came in and that was kind of dumb to have that in front of your boss. But they came into our apartment and hippie posters all over the place. And Inagata DeVita playing by the crane, you know, and Iron Butterfly. Um, my memory is losing songs, but and it's a good thing. But they, <laughs> <laughs> they came in and talked. Well, Adrian was really paranoid. He told me later when he saw the pot and he saw everything, he thought, oh man, we're going to get busted. The cops are going to come in. They're going to arrest us and I'm going to get taken downtown and put in jail. He was really afraid and he started talking too fast. And as many drugs as I had done, my mind was not fast. So I encourage those of us who know what we know, and it's so important to be gentle and slow with people, even if people who aren't stoned or aren't alcoholics or aren't right. substance abusers, you know, the mind is quickened by the living word of God. And, and those of you who've been raised in it, and I've noticed that you end your seasons of the podcast with people who are on the outside and coming in. And there's a good reason for that. We give you a new perspective, as hard as it was being on the outside and looking right. like Martin and George. Yeah. Beautiful testimonials. I love them. But we're different thinking people. We have different framework and it's uh, different processors going on, like CPU of a computer. They're different. Sometimes they're fast and sometimes they're not so fast. But in my case, mine had slowed down 
almost like somebody pouring in a gallon of molasses in your computer. But anyway, Adrian <laughs> went through some of the first principles and I missed everything. And so the next morning, my boss said, how'd you like the presentation? I said, well, to be honest with you, Tom, it really kind of went over my head. And he said, well, listen, I've got a friend who's been instructing me. He's about 60 and he comes up from Pasadena. And why don't you and your wife come over to my house and meet my wife? And I'll introduce you to Howard. I said, that sounds great. Thank you. We went over. And we're sitting in Tom's little mobile home, single wide mobile home in his living room, getting to know him and his wife a little better. And knock on the door and door opens. And in comes a small framed man carrying a briefcase and a roll under his arm. And he walks in and we're introduced. This is Howard, Howard Phillips. Nice to meet you. So he sits down and starts talking casually, small talk, asking us where we were and who we worked with. And he knew I worked with Tom and where Wendy worked. And he said, well, you know, my son works at Bell Telephone in the same building that you work in. And we thought, really? That's interesting. And so they didn't get to know each other until later on. But Dave worked up on a floor above and Dave's still a member of our meeting in North Houston. Anyway, Howard pulls up three charts that show the development of the Bible from the scrolls, the animal skins. And he was a sign painter and an artist. And he did all these himself. And they were beautiful. And uh, so this is where it connected with you because you're an artist. That's correct. You're like a visual learner. That's correct. I'm a very visual learner. And so it really Uh connected. I was so interested. And he had on this chart, he had the Dead Sea Scrolls. And he had them in Hebrew, and it showed, as they rolled out, they were rolled out on the chart, and they had the, the jars that the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, and he showed how that the first Bible was written in Hebrew from right to left. So there's very highlighted, very important points about the development of the Bible. So this was something you'd present to a 15-year-old, but he did it every time he introduced the Bible to people. He, really? It was just the first thing he showed them was the development of the Bible. Next thing was the in English book-bound, page-printed Bible. So Howard went through those charts, and then he rolls out this 7,000-year plan. Now, let me tell you something about that plan. I know that some people think it's too simple. Mm. But Tim, that plan changed my life. Right. Because the Bible, to me, was an endless book, both directions, past and future. But when I saw that plan and that chronology, that timeline, and it put a framework that I could work with, and I thought to myself, if you can prove this to me to be an authority from the Bible, and oh, as you know, it's so easy to do if someone's willing to give you the time and the attention. You know, he's saying, yeah, you're going to have to pay for this, but you're going to have to pay attention. And that's (laughs) what it took. And my poor brain was always flitting back and forth here and there. But that plan gave me some focus. So interesting. You know, in case our listeners haven't seen that, I'm going to attach it to the show notes. If you haven't seen that before, it's basically just a a historical chart showing God's overall plan. I can send you the charts that I've made and you can make sure available. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we went through that 7,000-year plan. It was kind of funny because he had made this plan himself. Beautiful lettering. Howard always did gorgeous lettering. He was a sign painter, of course. So he handed all the lettering. And the plan must have stretched for seven feet. Oh, and really? 
Yeah, it was huge. And it's impressive that when you roll that out into somebody and they see this seven foot by two foot roll and it was edged with blue tape and it had big German shepherd tracks going down from the front all the way down from end to end, from the future, the end of the 7,000 years, all the way to the beginning. And I said, what are those? He said, I was showing this to somebody and their dog came in from a wet night and walked right down. (laughs) (laughs) He says, ever since then, I've told people they're dinosaur tracks. (laughs) But he had such a wonderful sense of humor. He made people feel very comfortable. Never was there ever a time in all of our relationship from that day that we couldn't be genuine with each other and honest with each other. And he really became an adopted father in the church. That's important. Yeah. Oh, it was so wonderful. And although he's fallen asleep and his son, Dave, more than a brother, more than even a brother in Christ, he's such a close friend. And so that was the beginning, Tim. And we would go back we started having classes at our apartment and Howard would come over and he would always call the, the day of the class on usually on Thursday and he would call us up. And my brain was so deceitful. It was so deceitful that a couple of times I didn't want to have class. And it's just the flesh mm. lusting against the spirit. I knew what I had to do to right. get well. I had to take the medicine. I had to spend the time. I had to listen to Howard, even if I didn't want to, or I wanted to get high or something. And I was still back to smoking weed, not tripping anymore. I was done with that. I knew that that even boiling it all down to, oh, I'm just going to do organic stuff. I'm not going to do any synthetic hallucinogens or I'm just going to do organics. Yeah, that was a, anyway, (laughs) I quit doing those hallucinogenics and, but I was still smoking to calm myself down because I wasn't going to take the pharmaceutical pills that psychiatrists had given me. But on that Thursday, I once told Wendy, I said, Wendy, tell Howard, answer the phone. And I knew who it was, phone ringing. Wendy, would you mind answering the phone and telling Howard that I'm not feeling up to class tonight? And she did that once and then realized what I was doing. So the next time he calls, you know what she said. She said, no, you have to answer it. I'm not going to make the arrangement. You have to answer it. And I could never, ever say no. I would always say, come on, we're waiting for you. So, and it's important if you're going to instruct someone in the wonderful, life-saving, life-changing, health-giving principles of life to help them make decisions that will edify themselves and others and glorify God, we're going to have to put out a little effort. And that means text, contact, call the person because their tendency is to be adverse to the study of the word. Now you might find some that are excited and want you to come over. And I have had many to, to be of that mind, but there's going to be some that were in my frame of mind that were just like, They were opposing themselves, as scripture says. It's that devil in us, that diabolos, that wants to turn against it. So Howard continued to come over every week, just about every week, faithfully for about two and a half years. So we went through for two and a half years, and he invited us up to, uh, 
you know, he never mentioned Christadelphian, and I think this is important because we're not trying to get people to join our religion. Our religion, like every other religion, is going to go the same way all religions have. And that's off-center. We're going to go off-center because we're going to lose generations of our children who don't appreciate it and don't really understand the value of what they have. They don't know what they have. And they're going to throw it away. It's just history has proven that's the case. So Mm. we're not trying to push our religion, even though it's a a wonderful framework when it's maintained and the lamps are kept lit and trimmed and people are studying and reading and sharing and being excited about these things as they get together collectively. But Howard knew that I was an anti-establishment, countercultural individual. And it religion was religion. I don't care what you call it. And he never mentioned it. So he waited until I asked this question, Tim. Are there other people that believe this way, Howard? Oh, interesting. Yeah. And he said, yeah, I, I, I worship with a small group of people who believe this way. And he didn't make a big deal of it. He didn't say, well, you need to come down to our church and witness the love and the fellowship and the glory of our church. Not the Joel Osteen thing. He just simply said, yeah, there's a small group that I worship with. And he left my inquisitive mind. He left it blank enough to where I wanted to fill in the blank. So he invited me down. He gave me the address and said, you're welcome to come observe. And we were getting close to baptism. So. I told Wendy after a few weeks of that, I said, you know, I think I'd like to go down there and see who these people are. She said, well, I'll tell Howard. We can tell him we're coming down. That Sunday morning, we drove down from West Houston, from our apartment, about 40-minute drive down to Southeast Houston, down to Gulf Freeway, got off on Telephone Road, and things started looking very familiar. And as we drove down the street and turned to follow the directions on the map, we looked up and we drove right past our apartment and not a hundred feet beyond our apartment. Our apartment was on the end of this group of small L-shaped apartment. We drove into the parking lot of the Christadelphian Hall. We got out, we walked over to the front porch and looked across the roof of the house across the street, and there was our apartment window, the bathroom window. I could have hit it with a rock. So close all those years. All those that years is amazing. So anyway, we found our way back to this building. And when we walked in, of course, we got a few stairs because we didn't look like your normal Orthodox Christadelphian conservatives. Still the long hair, Stan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so after we met a few people, and saw Adrian again, and uh, he was glad that we were on his turf and not he on ours. But we expressed our desire to be baptized a few weeks later, and the brethren were a little nervous because of the way I looked. So they went to Howard privately, and they said, you need to tell him to cut his hair. And Howard simply in his Beautiful way, just said, I tell you what, why don't, like Wendy did to me, why don't you go tell him to cut his hair? Really? And nobody did. And they were so sensitive. They knew how sensitive I was to how they looked and their conservative nature. And I think they began to realize that 
we don't want to try to imprint him with a Christadelphian stereotypical look. We'll let you grow into whatever you're going to grow into. You'll right. either leave because you don't relate to us, you don't fit in, or you'll stay. And maybe you'll change your look. But they never did. They, and I give the, I have to credit those brethren and sisters. So we we were baptized. Judy was baptized. Judy studied with us. That's Wendy's friend, yeah. Wendy's close friend from the very beginning. She studied with us and she was so faithful and still is. And Wendy and I went through our examinations and we did well. It wasn't as exhaustive as I'll see a lot of examinations today for baptism and interviews. It was an interview. It wasn't really an examination. I'm using the wrong term. It was just to make sure that we were on the same page as what the Bible said with the brethren. Right. And uh, so we were baptized with me and my jeans and hair. And within about two months, I cut my hair. And yet I want to mention one thing, Kim, and that is that when I was baptized, I was still at home privately smoking pot. Now I would smoke really? a joint. I had turned away from it. And it's, it's as we talked about earlier, this is a growth process. Okay. And I wasn't making any kind of big deal out of it or trying to get other people to smoke. I was calming my own anxious, erratic mind with marijuana. Today, it's legalized for medicinal purposes, and I know why. I know why. But when it's done recreationally and abusively, it can harm people. I know that from a fact and from experience, and right. it should never be engaged in. And people really need to think twice about its medicinal properties as to whether or not that will help. Because I can assure you one thing that will help the mind, and that's the word of God. Right. And that's the greatest high and healing that a person can have. And that's the control of our thoughts. Disciple mean you're disciplining yourself according to your thinking. You're controlling your mind by applying the commandments of Christ. If he says, turn the other cheek when someone smites you on one side, that's hard to do. But if you listen to him and make him your authority, you can do it. Right. It's not easy. So you're saying too, like you got baptized, you realized what the truth was, but there was yes. still a process there, a growth Absolutely. process to walk away from those or get those out of your life. And it's That's a, right. a That's continued right. battle, isn't it? Yeah. It sure is. Oh, it yeah. is. Howard set up another class for us during the week. We had a first principle where we would invite friends over, new acquaintances, and he would roll out the 7,000-year plan. But he had another night, which we did post-baptismal curriculum. We started uh, with the Temple of Ezekiel's Prophecy. By Oh, wow. <laughs> that was tough. Let me tell you, I broke down and cried a couple of times in the class, and it was embarrassing. But I couldn't understand and you know why you can't understand some of the things he's saying in that book. It's because you're not mature enough in the Word. Right. You've got to be pretty mature in the Word to be studying a book like that. Yeah. But Dave and Howard were both artists. And I was an artist. And I met a young man at art school, same art school, actually, that Howard had gone to and Dave had gone to. They suggested that I go to. And so I went to art school after I was baptized and constantly talking the truth to people around me, talking about the Bible. And one man, young man by the name of Neil Whitehurst came in and he came over and he too learned the truth and was baptized about six months after us. 
And he is a wonderful artist and actually worked for and does work today for NASA and doing illustrations to try to sell the space station in Washington. They, they use some of his, uh, his work. But wonderful Bible scholar, excellent Bible scholar. And over the years, Tim, it's a growing process. You make mistakes, you slip, you hurt yourself, you hurt others. The arguments didn't just go away. I had to learn how to love. I never understood love. You know, people talk about the love of God. Yeah. And if they can grasp it, I think that's fantastic. But I knew that this was a love. This was something I had never, ever really understood. I'd seen it. I'd seen the love of God. I've seen sacrificial love, which, of course, is your agape love. I've seen filial love, which is, of course, your friendship, attractive love. But an erotic love, of course, never used in the Bible is the word. But but the filial, the fellowship, and the love we have for each other. But how many of us are willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of someone else who you can't expect to pay you back? And that kind of love ascends and transcends the selfish, egotistical, it's all about me attitude that we all have. But there are some that know how to express that kind of godly love. And it took me a long time to learn how to love in a sacrificial way. And that comes through the study of the Word of God. Learned how to mark the Bible, learn how to use the West Coast Bible marking course and fill in your margin, get by oh. a margin Bible. That's interesting, Stan, because I wanted to talk to you about the uh, season of the podcast. I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful story. I thank you for sharing that because it, uh, it seemed so hopeless at the end of the last podcast. <laughs> but just seeing how God worked through your life and pulling you out like that, one of the main reasons we do this podcast, sure. talking about essential Bible studies, is because the Word can change our life. Yeah. That's why I figured out early on when we talk about what we're going to talk about. We wanted to talk about the Word, the inspired Word of God. And so we still do that every once in a while. This season, we did talk about Bible marking, like you're talking about, and how to make it personal. That was a really fun episode. We had one, too, called Written for Us. I think that's kind of our sleeper episode. It's not one of the more popular downloads, but to me, it's a really good one because it helps us with our perspective that the Bible is written for us, like God speaking to us through His Word. Yeah. And then we did one with Jay Mayock on discerning spirits and just that faith and trust that the Bible that we have is the real word of God, right? So, Oh, it is. It absolutely is. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And the only way we're going to get his high thoughts into our mind is by reading and thinking and contemplating these thoughts. And when you write notes in your margin, now I know that the electronic Bibles on our phones have almost done away with Bible marking. Oh, yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? It is a shame. And I was thinking, I wonder if there's a way we can get the West Coast Bible marking into an application with color codes and chain references, because that's what it is. It's a chain reference to help you teach somebody. But there's nothing actually to replace the physical act of writing, right? Because that that cements it into your mind. What did God command every king of Israel? He had to write a copy of the law himself. And when he wrote it, it was designed to keep him from elevating his own thoughts above his brethren. And that helps keep us humble. But when you write something, pen to paper, pen to parchment, it's etching into your mind and it's double imprinting 
into your consciousness when you're writing it, and then it's preserved so that later when you're reading that section of the Bible, you're reading what you wrote with your hand. Yep. And yeah, you make mistakes sometimes. Got to use a little white out on the margin. <laughs> If you're shaking a rapidograph pen like we did back in the 70s and 80s, <laughs> you can splatter your whole page of Hosea with a bunch of little dots of black ink. That sounds like a real life experience. <laughs> you ever done that? <laughs> no, <laughs> don't go back that far. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm dating myself, but I um, hope some of your listeners can relate. But writing and keeping notes is very, very important. If we lose the ability to yeah. actually write alphabet, yeah. letters because we're typing keys if we're losing that then we're losing a coordinated synchronized connection between our hands that serve god and our mind that believe god you know it's really important i think to learn the bible more but i'm afraid we're going to lose it right. now it, the other emphasis of our season was on something we call god manifestation mm-hmm. very mm-hmm. key important principle that i'm sure in those two and a half years you were studying, you got a big dose of that, right? Because it's like what you're you're saying. You had to change from being selfish to being God-centered in your life. And that's what God manifestation is all about. So we had a show on angels. We had a, a show on Exodus chapter three, where Yahweh proclaims his name yeah. as Yahweh. Oh, and yeah. then we had two shows on Exodus 33 and 34, where Moses goes up to Sinai and God proclaims his name there in a more deeper, more personal way for Moses. Our last two shows, we were looking at John chapter 10, where mm-hmm. Jesus says, I and my father are one. Oh, and what that means sorry. and yeah. how Jesus responded, I said, ye are gods against the Jews in their debate and how that took us back to Psalm 82 and how that all speaks about God manifestation as well. I know God manifestation is one of your favorite subjects, you got anything else to fill in there? <laughs> the image and likeness of Elohim. Oh, yes. Image and likeness of Elohim. Adam was created from the dust of the ground and Eve from his side. But where did that design and construction and genetic cloning and engineering, where did it come from? Tim, where did it come from? Where did that design come from? Did it just pop into one of the Elohim's mind? The fingers of God, they're the Elohim, they're the angels. Did it just pop into their mind and say, oh, let's do it this way? Right. No. The omniscience of Yahweh, God, the living God, the omniscience, his omniscience reaches down 7,000 years to see the finished product right. of Jesus Christ and his bride and the crucifixion on the cross and how that water and blood is going to be the means processed by bringing in a multitude of men and women to one body, one mind, one spirit. So God looked all the way down in his omniscience and then brought it back, brought that fullness of glory in Christ and his bride back into the garden of Eden and said, here's how you're going to do it. Here's how you're going to create Eve. Eve is going to be created from Adam's side. And some of the Elohim probably rolled their eyes and thought, oh, no, no. Why would we do it that way? Because angels don't know everything like Yahweh does. They don't. He fills them in because they're learning and we're going to be learning too continuously, even after we're made immortal. We're not going to just suddenly be downloaded with all the knowledge. Doesn't happen that way. God's angels are wonderful and they're walking with you. And and if you're listening to this podcast, I'm willing to say that Providence has a part of it, not accident. Mm. I'm willing to say that boldly because I believe God is working in the lives of listeners 
people, when I meet people, for whatever reason, if I'm selling a rotor router on <laughs> Facebook Marketplace and the guy comes over and we get into a Bible conversation, which I can just about assure you is going to happen regardless of who walks in my yard. Yeah. We're getting, they're going to walk out knowing that they've had a conversation with somebody that's into the word. But don't you know that angels are working fast and furiously and feverishly under the direction of Christ and our heavenly father to right. bring people who are searching and who God knows needs him. He knows them better than we do. We don't know who it is, but yep. he's working with them. And so that's why I say to him, I believe providence works in our lives and we need to be willing to give an answer be ready to give an answer to everyone that asketh of the reason of the hope that is within us, nice. because we've got the greatest hope in the world, but we just need a little bit of their time. I've learned one thing in teaching, and you know that we taught here at Exxon for 30 years, lunchtime classes, we had Bible studies. You know that? Yes. A yeah. lot of Bible studies, just innumerable Bible studies, but I've, I've learned one thing. It is that when God brings a person to me and me to them, we meet on a level that says we're going to learn from each other. You're going to teach me things. It's not just an instructor because I know more than I've been in the Bible for 30, 40 years or 50 years, and I know the truth. So we really need to be very cautious and ask a lot of questions at the beginning of our relationship with new people. I think that's just yeah. suggestions that I've gained over my time of uh, sharing the, the Bible like we did yeah. at Exxon, the company I worked for. And I worked for the hospital as well first for three and a half years and then went to work for an oil company. But primarily my job was not making charts for doctors at MD Anderson Hospital or making charts for geologists. But my job was really manifesting God through his work. Right. Beautifully spoken. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Really, I know it's hard for you going back down to the bottom again, <laughs> to that dark place. But another episode we had this last season was on prayer. It was called Five Prayer Principles. And I think out of all our episodes this season, that's the one that has gotten the most positive comments. People saying oh, that they had yeah. difficulty praying and it was really helpful for them to focus back on prayer and how important that is. And we've seen how important prayer is just from your example in life and being that low and how powerful it is to appeal to the living God and he'll hear us and pull us out of the miry pit. He yeah. yeah. He will. He will. And it has to be a broken prayer. I have seen him work so fast and so yes. wonderfully when you're broken and keep praying until it reaches down into that visceral area of your life, I mean, your gut level, and tears flow. And it's a broken heart and a crushed or contrite spirit that is a pleasing sacrifice to God. The Pharisees right. were condemned for their standing long prayers in front of the crowd. And yet the sinner who beat his chest and could not lift up his eyes to God, broken knowing right. that we're nothing. We really right. are nothing. So I would encourage your listeners, Tim, search out a Christadelphian that knows their Bible. Not all Christadelphians do. We're not all the same. We don't all okay. know our Bible. 
Yeah. But we need to. But we certainly have the greatest hope and can share it and should be willing to share it with anybody, regardless of their stand in life or their color of their skin. You know, it's really important for us to consider yeah. that. Well, hopefully the Lord will return, but Lord willing, we'll spend this year getting back into some essential Bible studies and we'll have a fourth season coming up. And just like you said, just keeps sowing the seed and reaching out to people with how wonderful God's word is. Thank, thank you, you again, doing. Sam. Thank and you. thank you for doing what you're doing, Tim. All I right. appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. God bless all right. you and all, God, all your efforts. God bless you too. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. We hope that Stan's testimony is an inspiration for you. Sometimes it only takes a word to change somebody's life, no matter who they are. We hope that you can use the podcasts in just this very way. Think about how you can just say to a friend or an acquaintance, do you listen to podcasts? And be able to hand them an Essential Bible Studies business card. If you'd like to do this, then I'd like to send you some of these high-quality business cards so you can promote the podcast. Just get in contact with us at our website, www.essentialbiblestudies.org, or direct message us on Instagram or Facebook. No cost to you. Freely you have received, so freely give. So this is the end of Season 3. Lord willing, we'll be back next year with some more Essential Bible Studies. But if this is the first time you've listened to the podcast, then why not get caught up on past seasons or revisit some of your favorite episodes. If you have a subject that you think would make a great podcast, then I'd love to hear from you. We absolutely love hearing from listeners. Once again, our contact form is at www.essentialbiblestudies.org. The Essential Bible Studies podcast is brought to you by the Book Road Christadelphians on the outskirts of a lovely place called Ancaster, Ontario, Canada. Until next time, my dear friends, may God help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.